Welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Do you like cooking, reading about food, or even just eating? Then this podcast is for you. My co-host Charlotte and I work in the food industry. We'll be taking you behind the scenes, meeting the people who make it all happen, and showing you what's going on. Together, we'll bring you an inside view from the food industry with our unique perspectives from our work behind the scenes in food creation and production. Every week, along with our special guests, we'll cover different foodie topics, from baking to growing your own, home cooking, outdoor cooking, and even booze. Our aim is to take a positive look at what the nation is cooking and eating right now. There's so much adaptation, galvanization, and collaboration across the entire food system at the moment, and we'll be talking to some very special guests about the changes in their world, professional and personal, about remodeling, rethinking and innovating with so much turned upside down and sharing some unique perspectives from field to fork. We'll also consider what food will look like in the future, in the home and outside. This podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus, a tasty treat for when eating in is the new going out. Moorish produces a range of delicious dips, including smoked hummus and now new velvet hummus. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and many other stores. Every week our lucky listeners will be in with the chance to win some delicious dips in our competition at the end of each show, along with some other exciting gifts. I'm Jules Waddell, founder of Moorish Hummus. Yes, there is a link. And I'm here with my co-host Charlotte, award-winning cookery, writer, teacher and chef. For more on us, check out lovemoorish.co.uk and charlottepike.co.uk. We'll also keep you updated on what shops are open when and for whom on our website, pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So it's time to pull up a chair at the table, sink into the sofa or relax into bed and get ready for the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Pandemic Pantry podcast. I can't believe we're at four already. This week we have a fantastic show lined up for you as we learn about all things farming and food production during the pandemic. We've spoken to some incredible farmers about their farms and their lives at the moment and we've got a really interesting interview from the president of the National Farmers Union, Minette Batters. In case this is the first episode you've listened to, we do like to say up front that we know the audio quality of our content is not perfect and occasionally contains the odd glitch. This is due to the very nature of the pandemic and the fact that we and our guests are recording from home with less than optimal audio acoustics and the occasional Wi-Fi wobble. Finally, we have loved receiving your questions about cooking during COVID and there'll be more on that later. So on to the show. Hi Charlotte, how are you? Hi Jules, I'm okay, thank you. I think hanging in there feels about right <laughs> this week. It's, it's all a bit, bit a... a bit different now, isn't it? We've had an announcement from on high. How are you feeling about all of that? Yeah, well, it, uh, for me, it feels as though nothing is going to be changing anytime soon. I mean, my work is really, a lot of it is just totally off in terms of cooking for people, teaching cooking classes. That all feels as though it's going to be a really, you know, a long road to get back to that, unfortunately, but it is what it is. But, you know, it's just a question of carrying on and trying to see what I can do. It 
it suddenly feels as though when the weather's good, that helps a lot. When the weather's been poor, that's been really, really challenging. You know, when it's cold and wet and not feeling like you can get out, it makes such a difference to the mood. And, you know, on a personal level, I'm starting to feel a bit broken by it all. You know, I mean, I've had my hair cut for 12 weeks and my tooth broken and all of these things that, you know, you just can't get sorted. So it's... um. It certainly feels as though lockdown starting to get a bit more wearing. I don't know about you. How are things in your world this week? Yeah, that's really interesting what you say. So I preemptively contacted my hairdresser just before the uh, the Boris announcement to see if she would uh, make sure I'm I'm somewhere near the front of the list if and when he was to say. I didn't think he would say we could go all go out and have our hair cut. But I just thought, I'll just raise my little hand with the hairdresser and say, please make sure I'm near the front because, yes, it has been a long time. I was just about to have my hair cut when we went into lockdown and I'm not going to do it myself because that never ends well. Um, But, yeah, we're okay. Again, it's not going to make much difference to us changing these rules ever so slightly. Um, We might be able to have my mother-in-law around to sit outside and eat some food as and when the weather is warm enough. But really, yeah, as you say, it just feels like it's going on and on. And I think we may have felt we had potentially some some improvement in in quality of life coming with with any relaxation. But actually, we all kind of knew it wouldn't it wouldn't be massive because nothing has actually really changed. Um, And so it it all felt like a bit of a, a build up to to not a lot, really, which is mentally a little bit frustrating isn't it and I have to say you know we've kind of resigned ourselves now so on a personal note my eldest child she's in year 10 which is the pre-GCSE year so it sounds like they're hoping to get her year back into school at some point before the summer holidays my youngest child when he heard the announcement last night he's 12 so in year eight and he was saying well great does that mean I'm not back in till September and we're like well yeah probably and that's quite a big deal that is a long time to be off school for him and a long time for us to have him off school and then lastly my husband's an osteopath and we were thinking at first when they said you know if you can work you should we were thinking oh gosh does that mean that he'll go back but then of course not because you can't socially distance um osteopathic treatment Um, But really, it made me think, what about all the parents who are now expected to go back to work, but yet their children are off school? Those two things do not go together. And you can't bring in any grandparents or childcare or take the children to any childcare. So how does that work? I think there's a lot that still needs to be thought through is my take on it. Really difficult for lots and lots of people at the moment, isn't it? Yes, and everybody has their own slant on on how it's difficult for them. And everybody, I think, is still just very much day to day, which is all we can do, really. So the good news is we have another really interesting episode of the Pandemic Pantry podcast for our listeners this week. This week, it will be a brilliant farming special where we will cover everything from cheese to chicken and lots more. So have you made anything delicious with cheese recently, Charlotte? Well, I've actually been eating a lot of cheese rather than cooking with cheese because there have been lots of things going on with British farmhouse cheeses at the moment. And I have been buying and enjoying lots of delicious cheeses, which feels like a real treat for me because I'll be honest, there's only two of us in in my household. So buying 
soft cheese and you know fresh cheese is something that we don't do that much so it's been really really lovely and I'm really pleased to say also that I've shared some of my favorite recipes for cooking with cheese on our website for our lovely listeners so if anyone's interested in some ideas I've put some of them over there and that's pandemic-pantry.co.uk perfect so let's get on to the show where we talk about uh, life for dairy farmers. Uh, we talk to a farmer and cheesemaker, Johnny Crickmore. So it has been well documented on social media that the lockdown has been a nightmare for makers supplying cheese and other dairy products to the restaurant industry. But thanks to tweets from high-profile chefs like Jamie Oliver highlighting the issue, people have been buying cheese from fantastic independent producers directly, which is great. We'll also hear from Minette about how the farming industry is coping, what she's working on getting in place to support farmers, and how we as shoppers can help. Finally, we speak to Peter Gregg from the wonderful Piper's Farm to see what's been going on with them and their small artisan suppliers. Johnny Crickmore is a dairy farmer, cheesemaker, and vice chair of the Specialist Cheesemakers Association. Johnny and his wife, Dulcie, are third-generation farmers at Fen Farm in Bungay, in Suffolk's Waveney Valley. Fen Farm Dairy is best known for their British Brie-style cheese, Baron Bygod, and their Bungie butter, the UK's only raw farmhouse butter, and their self-service raw milk. Their lush green fields are home to their Montbelliard cross cows, who graze the fields and provide all their milk for their business, and leading cheesemaker, Junie Cheney, who also runs her cheesemaking business, Whitewood Dairy, on Fen Farm. Fen Farm Dairy supplies cheese to leading restaurants and cheesemongers nationally, and they run a farm gate self-service shop selling their raw milk, buttermilk, cheese, butter, and fresh ground takeaway coffee made using their raw milk. They were in fact pioneers in the raw milk vending machine world with their first machine exhibiting at the B&A Museum. Johnny is currently Vice Chair of the Specialist Cheesemakers Association. Johnny Crickmore, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Hello, Charlotte. Thanks so much for joining us. Johnny, how have the last few weeks been for you and your business? It's been a roller coaster of a journey. When we got to the point where Boris Johnson announced that all restaurants had to be closed, all hospitality and all of those areas were shut down. It hugely affected our business. We lost in the first two weeks from then, from that point, we lost 70% of our sales of cheese. Butter wasn't quite so bad, but it was still hit. That put us in a bit of a panic because of the quantity of value of our stock. So we had well over £50,000 worth of cheese, which we predicted we were going to have to throw away with the current sales. You can look back at the last month and could have predicted what was going to happen, but when you were in it at the time, it was a really uh, worrying place. So we felt like we want to be beaten. And the last few weeks, we've just been working really hard on trying to find a new route to sale for most of our products. So what are you doing in terms of finding new routes for sale? Because you're still doing your farm gate sales, obviously, and collaborating with other local businesses selling, for example, breads, aren't you? What are you doing in terms of finding new routes to business? What we found was initially, like all of a sudden, our sales in our shop just increased massively. So people were like, it trebled in the space of a few days from shutdown, it trebled in sales. And like you said, like selling bread and 
meat and a lot of cheese and milk, it was doing very well. But that's only still a small percentage of our products. The first plan what we had was we're going to give away cheese because it's better that people have the cheese than it is being thrown away. So we divided our a lot of our wheels into wedges and we using our local milk brands when we delivered 3,000 wedges of cheese to some of the people who buy through the milk brandsmen. Also, they would probably be more likely to be the kind of customer who would buy our cheese. So just as a goodwill gesture, really. And from the back of that, we got this huge amount of like thank yous uh, through emails, people writing letters, people actually bringing things to us to say, thanks so much for the cheese. Here's a bottle of wine. That's so nice. I must admit, I felt, I just felt incredibly happy that, if nothing else, that we put smile on some people who weren't able to get out of their houses. That was the first thing we did. And off the back of that, we started to get a lot of sales through our milk brandsmen in the following weeks. And then the next thing we noticed, our website, which sells a few cheeses, a few butters every week, went up in sales by about 150%. So literally, we've been selling hundreds, probably into the thousands of cheeses and butters through our website. And all of a sudden, by the fourth week, we all of a sudden starting to get back towards selling the amount of cheese which we originally were going to throw away. So in terms of proportions, I mean, your business, I assume a significant proportion of the cheeses you were making for, and butters, for example, would have gone to food service, to restaurants. The proportion you were selling direct through your website and direct to the customer from your farm gate would have been a much smaller percentage of your business. Yeah, we weren't aware of quite the size of the proportion of the amount of product which went to restaurants and hospitality until after it happened. But once that all closed down, we had to think of ways of getting it to people in different ways. It's also likely you can look back at it now, uh, a few weeks after, but after the panic buying finished, after sort of the first week, 10 days, people actually still had their income they were earning that still was coming, wasn't it? So if you can't go out and have a nice meal, treat yourself once a week or whatever you normally do in life, that probably explains why all of a sudden people started buying whole cheeses off our website because it was a treat. Wine, nice cheese, chocolates, those kind of things are treats. We are seeing exactly the same thing. So I have a hummus company and at Moorish we saw exactly the same thing. Sales went absolutely nuts to start with during the stockpiling phase. But even since then, I think it's shoppers are, consumers are shopping differently and it is that eating in is the new going out. It's not a lot of money compared to what you might pay for a restaurant and babysitters and wine and a whole really nice night out. Well, we can't do that now. And people are behaving differently. And it's so interesting to see. And I love the organic story of, of the milk ground and the nice feeling that you got back from people. And I'm hearing a lot about that. People are so grateful when you look after them and then they look after you. And then that turned into an arm of your business. But also the online sales thing, I'm interested in how things work for people commercially. Is selling online good for you guys commercially? Is it better, worse, about the same? Is it going to be okay for you to carry on like this for a while? I mean, it's great that you're shifting the product. As you say, the worst thing would be to waste it. But is that a viable business for you? I think the biggest problem, Jules, is we weren't geared up for online sales in that level. Doing a few boxes, no problem. But we're kind of quite slow. We're not... Amazon, we can't 
pack thousands of boxes quickly. So we furloughed half our team. And this like just added even more pressure because we're doing all these individual orders and it just takes so much more time. We ended up working into the evenings to try and get this cheese out. Something which, I mean, I'm really happy to continue doing selling online and direct, but I preferred the old route of sale, which was we concentrate on cheese making and selling to wholesalers who then can get the cheese out to the people, to the restaurants, to the shops. That's my preferred route, but people's habits are changing. And the longer we're shut down, the longer this all goes on for, people will start to get these habits sort of cemented in. I can't believe that we will go back to what we were before. I think we will be changed and I think people will continue to buy more online because they've had good experiences for the first time buying online and having a nice treat arrive at their door. If that's been a success now, then there's no reason they, people won't continue doing that going forward. I think you're right. Yes. It's not going to flip back precisely how it was. It'll be so interesting to see in some businesses I think we'll stick with the new ways of doing things that they found pivoting like you have with the online deliveries that may not work so well for you or you may find ways to make it work over time because we've all had to flip our, our ways of doing things so quickly. And I think you're right. I think there will be a continuing demand. I'm hearing a lot from people who are enjoying getting their meat from the butchers and their fish deliveries, the garden centers from you guys. There's something really nice about it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the new new looks like, won't it? Yeah, I think, like you say, like having home deliveries from your local butchers or your fruit and veg shop, uh, I think a lot of small independent businesses hadn't gone down that route of home deliveries, but now they're doing home deliveries too. Then there's no reason why people can't still get one home delivery from Tesco for more basic stuff, and then they have another home delivery from more specialist food or good vegetables. I think it'll probably continue. It's a good way of shopping. That's what I was doing before. I mean, mainly the sort of supermarket shop. We've talked about this in Jules and I before, but that was for sort of like housekeeping stuff. And actually, but mm. you can get so much great food direct to your door. Um, Johnny, what about the picture for other farmhouse cheesemakers at the moment? Can you tell us a bit about what you've been hearing in your role at, with the Specialist Cheesemakers Association? Being on the committee, we had a sort of, what you probably call a cobra meeting or something of cheesemakers and talked about the issues we were all facing and certainly what we were experiencing. We weren't the only ones. Everybody was in the same boat. Hard cheeses and the panic buying week, 10 days, they seem to have done better. But soft cheeses like ours, blue cheeses were really, it was, we were all in a, in a bad place. So what we decided amongst the committee was we wanted to look for help but we didn't want to go about, we felt that it wasn't the right thing to go pleading for help to save our industry because well, actually there's a lot of people who are still worse off than us. There is much bigger problems in the world than eating cheese. So we felt it was more important to just go about it in a way where it was, we don't want money, we just want you to be aware that there's a big mountain of cheese and all you've got to do is eat it. We had this plan that we needed to try and get in touch with as many food writers, journalists, radio presenters, whoever we knew or somebody knew, we would ask for help. And just to get the news of the amount of cheese, I just don't think people 
they're realizing now, but two weeks ago, I don't think people realized that the effect by not going to restaurants and buying all of this specialist food in restaurants anymore was actually not only going to have an impact on the restaurant, but all of the food producers which sold to the restaurants. But the trouble was with people like us, you can't close us down. The cows have to keep being milked. Everything has to continue. You can't stop the food coming. So if we go under, then there's no nice food, then which goes into the restaurants, which then people go out to buy. So I think this was the message we wanted to get across. It's the last 10 days has been absolutely incredible. The way it's got through the media and in particular, Jamie Oliver on social media last weekend did a big plea for support British cheesemakers. He did a great job. And off the back of that, I mean, our cheese was in one of the, the boxes which he was promoting. And we sold two and a half thousand boxes of cheese in three hours. Oh, wow. Is that, is that the Neil's Yard dairy box? It is, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Gosh, I tried to get one and they were sold out because I'd seen it on social media. The power of social media when somebody gets behind something. Um, yeah. That's amazing that that was able to give you guys a lift. That's an yeah. amazing response. And actually, you alluded to something really interesting there, Johnny. I mean, you are farming. You have your cows in the field. You are producing the milk. You're not just buying in milk to make your cheeses. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in that side of the farm at the moment as in like on the sort of farm itself like what's happening right now or so is it business as usual in terms of you're still milking the cows your milk is being sold at the farm gate are you selling more milk to counteract from making less cheese a lot of our milk goes to Arla so right now we're in a good position because we're members of Arla and because we're members they have to pick our milk up so we've never had to pour milk down the drain so that's one good thing. We have seen our own raw milk sales go up. It is still a very small part of our business. So it's not enough to replace the, the cheese making. Literally the last two weeks, we've been making cheese for England. We've not stopped making cheese every day because we've sold it all. All of that mountain of cheese, which we were going to throw away, we sold it all. And actually, we've sold more than we actually should have sold, if that makes sense. We've gone the other way. We were coming from a surplus to a deficit to not enough cheese now. So, Oh, wow. Um, That's extraordinary turnaround, really, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I've seen stories on my local Facebook groups pleading from local farmers to come and collect milk from the gate because they're going to have to pour it on the fields. So mm. that's actually some positive to take from this situation. Mm. Obviously, any consumers who are interested in supporting farmhouse cheeses will be able to try and buy cheeses online. Do you have any other advice for how consumers can get involved to support the industry? Yeah. This is a really good social media site to visit. I think there's becoming a website soon, but it's all been put together in the last few weeks. It's farms that feed us, and they're busily putting together any producer who has a website shop. So if you look on our, on our own social media page, Fen Farm Dairy, you will see it about three or four lines down in the photos that's a good place to start and you'll be able to see all of the producers in your area and around the UK who you want to support and buy from and not just producers like the shops the retailers who support the producers so it's all of these people need to have support too yeah that's probably what I would recommend that's really interesting and your cheese is freeze as well a lot of people won't necessarily assume that you can put a soft cheese in the freezer yeah yeah it's pretty good actually i mean i've never eaten frozen brie or our cheese 
Baron Bygod because I don't need to. I've always got like a mountain of it. But I thought, right, I'm going to have to make sure this is good. So I froze some and tried it several weeks later and it really doesn't seem much different. The mold goes a little bit grey, but the flavour is great. You can freeze hummus as well, apparently. It changes the texture slightly, but it's one of those things you find out in these unusual situations. So frozen cheese, that's another good one. What was your day-to-day life like before and how has it changed? Are you really feeling this lockdown? Because you're out farming, do you sort of feel a bit the same? What was it and how is it now? I feel like I'm sure everybody's feeling the same on this one, that I seem to have like the same day forever. In some respects, like getting up, going to work, coming home, having dinner with my family and then going to bed and repeat. So there is some really samey bits, but equally like there's stuff like what we're doing right now, having a chat through Zoom, which I never even knew existed, this thing called Zoom until about three weeks ago. (laughs) So it's been equally a random, unusual three weeks of my life. So it's a combination of both. I'm really missing visiting people who we sell our product to, going out, visiting parts of the UK, all of those things for me was one of my enjoyable parts of my job. And so I'm missing that. Well, that's leads us on to the last question then. What three things are you looking forward to when, in whatever shape it comes, this is all over? What would be your, and you're only allowed three, because I'm sure you have a lot. <laughs> what would be your top three? Okay, so number one is like, we're uh, all going to go for a long drive somewhere, like probably Scotland. And have a few days somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and walk up a mountain. That's going to be first thing we do. Go out. Is, number two is probably go out seven days on the trot and eat out every day. <laughs> uh, I need to like make up for all of these lost weeks. So as soon as restaurants open, I'm planning on supporting them. And, and all of our local restaurants are going to go and have dinner there. You're sport uh, for choice, though, where you are in Suffolk. There's some amazing places to eat. <laughs> yeah, we are very lucky for, for out in the sticks. We've got some great restaurants locally. So I'm certainly going to go and fill up on all of those restaurants. <laughs> Number three, what am I going to do? Number three. Hmm. You need to buy some new clothes after you've eaten in all those restaurants. Uh, yeah, haircut. <laughs> haircut and buy some clothes. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. That was so interesting. And next we speak to NFU President Minette Batters and we'll have an update on what's happened since this interview after we hear from Minette. Minette Batters is President of the National Farmers Union. Minette has been an NFU member from grassroots to county chairman and is now their first female president. In this role, she represents their 46,000 farmer and grower members and helps shape the government's agricultural policy. She runs a 300-acre tenanted farm in Wiltshire. Her mixed farming business includes beef, sheep and arable and has diversified by converting a 17th century tithe barn into a wedding and corporate event venue. Minette co-founded the campaigning initiatives Ladies in Beef and the Great British Beef Week. Minette Batters, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Minette. Now, at the start of the year, 2020 was shaping up to be a year of profound change for our farming system in the UK. And yet the picture has shifted again dramatically. There has been lots of talk about our food supply over the last few weeks. Perhaps you could tell us what the picture's been like for British farmers who've been working so hard to get food on our tables. 
It, well, it's, it's been um, a sort of tale of two halves, really, because um, if you're selling into retail, um, you haven't been impacted nearly so much. Um, and in, in many cases, actually might have benefited because retail sales are up, um, we think, at least 12 percent. But if, if you are selling into the out-of-home market, so that's, you know, our, our sort of McDonald's, our Nando's, our Costa uh, outlets, not to mention hotels, restaurants, bars, pubs. If you're selling into that market, your, your market literally ended overnight when we went into lockdown on the 23rd of March. And the ramifications have, have, been, have been huge in those sectors. And really everything from specialist cheese to processed potatoes going into fish and chip shops. Anybody who was supplying the out-of-home market has found very severe disruption. Um, So you've seen about a third of dairy farmers um, very sort of challenged in this scenario, and that's when we saw milk being thrown away. It was purely because they'd lost their, their market. Now things have restructured to a certain extent. Most of that milk um, has found a home. But of course, for the farmers that have lost their, their route to market, it's still you know, a, a very dire state of affairs, which is why we're talking to government about a, a direct aid package. Um, and we're indeed trying to make sure that, that all those other sectors we can redirect into retail. Obviously, potatoes, to a certain extent, you can store. But... Um, yeah, it, there's no sector that is unprotected. You know, we obviously see malting barley contracts, um, you know, not worth the paper that they're written on because we're not drinking the beer that we would normally in the outlets that we would normally. So 50 percent of the market is out of home and it's that 50 percent that has been most impacted. Wow. And what um, sort of aid um, and help are you looking at for, for example, dairy farmers, for ornamentals, the, the areas that are particularly badly affected? So it's different on on both sides. I mean, ornamentals, we we really need the garden centres to open as soon as possible with social distancing in place. Um, That has happened across many um, member state countries in Europe. And we believe in the garden centres are very confident that they can manage with exactly the same measures in place as we have in retail. But failure to do so will see potentially two to three hundred growing businesses go under. And it's been such a success story. We have seen ever more people get involved in planting up their gardens. And the British flower sector, the ornamental sector, has been incredibly um positive and successful sector and providing that marketplace. So we really do want to make sure those businesses survive and they all need to start propagating now for next year. So the ask is that garden centres open as soon as possible. If not, they will be looking at wanting to access the Seabill scheme. The bounce back helps enormously in that it's 100% guaranteed by government. It doesn't really cover, you know, they will be looking for sort of 10 years rather than six um, and a direct aid package would be would be huge, actually. Um, for dairy, we're looking at something like the retail and hospitality grant being opened up. Um, uh, something similar to that would would benefit enormously for the farmers that are affected. Okay, thank you. Um, what can consumers consumers and businesses do to support British farmers at the moment? What purchasing choices can they make that will directly benefit? those who work so hard to produce our food? 
Well, certainly on flowers, we've we've worked with the retailers and a lot of them now got flowers in store. So Aldi have done a great job, Waitrose um, and, and many others. Um, I'd urge people that if they want to buy flowers, it's a really good thing to buy them out of retail because those are, are nearly all British grown. And of course, to buy British food wherever possible, we're coming into the most amazing season with asparagus and strawberries and, and all effectively the, the British harvest coming in. So it's it's a great time to be buying British. It's a great time to embrace seasonality. And I think, you know, when we look at beef, we, we in retail, we have a sort of... Um, a thirst for buying mints. We don't eat the same at home as as we do when we're out. So, you know, the, the fabulous sort of um, lattes or cappuccinos, we don't tend to have them. We tend to have a Nescafe with a splash of skim milk. So it's trying to encourage people to be a bit more adventurous, to try steak being sold on promotion at the moment. So they're really good value. So try and, and have a, a roasting joint or some steaks. Um, look out for speciality cheeses again. Perhaps just try things that you wouldn't normally try out of out of um, out of home market. Uh, just be a bit more adventurous because that, if you're buying British, that really helps the farmers. Yeah, and it is so exciting to see the products coming through. Just those first strawberries from Herefordshire have been so delicious over the last week, and beautiful asparagus yeah. and a joy. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. it is just it has it really has so nice. Um, so it's been reported that supermarkets have increased some prices over the last few weeks. And um, has this been the case for British farm produce? And have the farmers seen any of this in their pockets? No, if anything, actually, it's been the reverse. You've seen sort of greater um, costs on, on farm um, and they certainly haven't seen um, any movement at the farm gate. In fact, beef, um, we've, almost, we've seen prices going backwards, really, in all sectors. So, the, the, no, farmers are not, that is not going back to the farm at all. And in terms of moving forward, I know that uh, one of your messages at the moment is just trying to encourage businesses to think ahead a little bit about um, planning and in other businesses such as um, food procurement in schools, hospitals, prisons and the military. What can you tell us about some of your messages at the moment? Well we're really keen to sort of um, kick off a, a wide-ranging campaign um, that is about sort of 100% sourcing wherever possible in procurement, making sure that our hospitals, our schools, our military and prisons are able to eat British food. Um, you know, that's not been the case since the London Olympics. That was the last time we managed to go to 100% British sourcing wherever possible. So we feel that would be enormously beneficial because it's a large market. It's, it's worth about three billion pounds. Um, and we know there's huge interest. I also am very keen to pursue um, with online shopping, the ability to have a buy British button so that people can choose um, British food. I think a lot of people won't be going back to shopping in store anytime soon. And some people might out of choice decide never um, to do it and will continue shopping online. So being able to have the transparency in the barcode of the country of origin, I, I think, think is going to be really important. And I think the third thing I'd say is being really ambitious for the out-of-home market um, making sure that we are using any surpluses here 
that is going to make a big difference to British farmers and growers. There's a real danger that we sort of import um, ingredients, food that might seem to be cheaper, but that would just displace the products that we have. And we want to make sure that we, what I would call self-medicate as much as we can here. And I'm always interested in the sort of personal stories, uh, Minette. What what is it like being a farmer at the moment? Are they are they waking up and just sort of <clears throat> are they are they is it business as usual or because there's nowhere for the produce to go if if they happen to be in the out of home sector? Are they sitting waiting minute by minute for some sort of news, some support, some relief? It feels like the government are slowly releasing the next thing, and then they look at charities, and then they look at you know, the self-employed, are, are they just waiting for the, the day when they go, yes, it's farmers' support time? Is, is that how it feels? How does it feel to them on a day-by-day -day basis? I, I think th for some, it, it feels like life hasn't changed at all. They're just um, very grateful to be able to go about their daily business, not be as constrained as, as many people have been. But for others, um, it, it's been a, a very, very challenging time, a very worrying time, obviously, for the ornamental growers that I referred to, you know, those businesses, very successful businesses, they are just very worried about survival now. Um, and to a certain extent, similar for dairy farmers that have lost their market, that are receiving a price way, way below the cost of production. They know that it's unsustainable. They cannot carry on like that. And, and then you've got things like specialist cheesemakers who've lost their market and stopped making cheese um, and, and they are in a very, very worried place because they don't know when the new normal will arrive. And I think their fear is that social distancing will remain in, in restaurants and a lot of the outlets where these top end products would be being used. So there's a lot of very worried people out there um, that are concerned about what the future holds and, and how they get through this period. And actually, it's it's a well-known thing uh, that the margins in farming are so poor. It's a sort of a perfect storm of the immediacy of the drop off. Um, the fact that they weren't sort of rolling in oodles of cash anyway. Um, and then the uncertainty as to, to what will come back and when and and how it, it must be must be very strange for people. Uh, absolutely. And, and none of us know what the, the new normal is going to look like. Um, so, uh, you know, I think people are just um, just hoping for the best, really. And, and we are trying to work as closely as we can with the whole of the supply chain and with government to make sure that that we can ease that path, um, whether it is into retail, whether it is getting garden centres open. I think we are very, very different because we're dealing with a perishable product and, and in many cases seasonal. And, you know, you, you can't, the point I've been making is that you can't mothball um, agricultural businesses. You can't furlough your livestock or your staff. You, you have to keep going. Um, and that, for some, has, has been much more difficult than others. Yes, you've got such a short shelf life. Either you're producing and supplying or you're producing and wasting or you're not producing, those are literally the three options, none of which are ideal. Absolutely. It's really, really tough. No. Yeah, absolutely. What about for you personally, Manette? Are you finding life in lockdown strange, or are you still out and about at as many meetings as you were? Obviously, you, you have an incredibly important role in the welfare of the country. Mm. The people you represent, does your, does your life feel the same but busier? What's it like for you? 
it, it, it's it's strange in many ways. I mean, I've never been on the farm so much, so I'm based here all the time now. But I, I hardly get outside at all. I mean, the meetings start really at seven o'clock in the morning. And if I'm lucky, sort of finish at seven at night. And, you know, many days I don't even grab a sandwich in between because you're just meeting to meeting. So it's a strange way of working. And there's a big demand on us at the NFU at the moment um, from from many different people, not least our our members. So we're, we're working as hard as we can to try and get through this, um, to try and, and ease the pathway, if you like, um, back into normality. So it feels strange for me and amazing that I can feel so exhausted at the end of a day when I feel like I've sat in a chair and actually physically done nothing but um, mentally drained, I guess. And actually making a significant, you know, enormous difference in contribution, I guess there is some um, satisfaction in the fact that you know this is such a such a difficult time and and the role of the NFU has never been more important um, and I'm sure your members are very grateful for all the hard work that you and your team are doing well listen at some point Minette um, all of this will will change um, probably gradually as we know what are you looking forward to in terms of your life that you're not able to do at the moment that you're missing uh, with this current situation I think it, it probably um, never occurred to me and, and probably very much like everybody else, you know, I'm really missing the, the sort of one-on-one contact, the, the human contact that we have. You know, my role is, you know, meeting after meeting, but with lots of different people. Um, it, it's a very social role in many ways, um, not that you're, you're, going out necessarily a lot but you're just involved with a lot of people a very diverse group of people and it's it's all about social interaction and to lose all of that has felt really odd and and made you very aware of how much actually I think we will learn a new way of working like this but I don't think we'll ever replace um you know the sort of human interaction that I, I think helps yeah helps our the way we get our point across this is just very very different and and you do feel quite isolated um and that's me saying it from from the comfort of a farm and with the freedom to walk about so i think many people that i i come across who walk through the farm say that you know they are finding it really tough and actually getting out in the countryside helps clear their heads and makes them feel so much better that's what i'll be looking forward to Thank you very much. It's been a huge privilege to talk to you at this very busy time. We're incredibly grateful and hopefully we can help you get the word out about primarily what, what shoppers and, and all of us need to eat uh, and what we can do to play our part in helping make this situation um, in any way better that we possibly can. Thank you so much. What a great interview from Minette. There's been so much going on for her and our farmers at the moment. Actually, we've heard since this interview took place that there's been some further developments in support for British farmers at the moment. Is that what you've heard, Jules? Yes, I have definitely had some news along those lines across my desk. So there's a couple of pieces of news that I thought might be interesting. Firstly, I've heard that the dairy sector has teamed up with DEFRA and the devolved administrations to, for a new £1 million promotional campaign to highlight the key role of fresh milk and dairy in diets. The creation of the 12-week ad campaign will see the dairy industry being advertised across media outlets and on TV for the first time in over a decade. 
And for English dairy farmers in particular, DEFRA has announced that they will be able to access up to £10,000 each to help them overcome the impact of the coronavirus outbreak. So eligible farmers who have lost more than 25% of their income over April and May due to coronavirus will be eligible to access funding for those qualifying months. DEFRA said there'll be no cap set on the number of farmers who could receive the support or on the total amount of funding available. That, Jules. That was really interesting. And now let's meet our final guest of the week, Peter Gregg from Piper's Farm. Peter Gregg is a farmer and co-founder and director of Piper's Farm. Peter and his wife Henry founded Piper's Farm over 30 years ago. After meeting at university, they worked together on a range of farms, including Peter's father's intensive chicken farm in Kent. The experience really cemented their view that this way of producing meat and intensive animal husbandry was not beneficial to the animals or consumers and left them feeling uncomfortable feeding intensively produced meat to their children. Convinced this was not the way forward, they found Piper's Farm near Columpton in Devon and set about producing wonderfully delicious meat in harmony with nature. They've since won numerous awards from the BBC Food and Farming Awards to the coveted three-star gold at Great Taste. Piper's Farm is now a significant independent online-only food retailer selling their meat and carefully selected complementary food, drink and homeware products from independent businesses who share their ethos. Peter Gregg, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you, Charlotte. So, Peter, as soon as the crisis hit us, I saw you recruiting for butchers, your teams working flat out, day in and day out, and customers placing huge orders, such as 10 chickens at a time. As a small producer and independent online retailer, can you talk us through your experiences over the last few weeks? Well, it certainly has come out of the blue, hasn't it? I mean, this really felt like Christmas in the food industry but it had come without 2,000 years warning of where Christmas lands. Um, Absolutely unexpected in terms of being able to deal with the logistics. So there was no doubt in the immediate aftermath of the lockdown, there was a need to quickly assess what resources we had and how best to deploy them. Henry and I are incredibly lucky that we have Will, our younger son, and Abby really running the front end of the business, and that's their total focus. And that was really what was needed. It was needed, I think, cool, calm assessment, something that Will is is very good at. And he early on said to us, look, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. So Although in day one and two, I think the volume of orders coming online were just immense. And in a way, it looked tempting to think, wow, this is great. Look at all the business we're doing. He very quickly recognized that we needed to set out a stall that was sustainable for the marathon, as he described it. So uh, quickly, the website, the online platform, was brought into under control, if you like. And I think Will and Abby said, this is the maximum number of orders we can put out per day. 
let us start to control delivery slots. And then it was a case of marrying that to the potential of the team. And I think just generally, Charlotte, there's such a feeling that there's an appetite, there's a renewed appetite for all the right reasons for what we are providing. And so, you know, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. So it, it is a case of breathing steadily, making ourselves fit to keep running and go the whole distance. And we're right up for that. That's fantastic. I mean, one of the messages I've been seeing from you um, from quite early on is actually just keep ordering little and often. Don't feel as though you need to stockpile. There is the supply, but we need to get food to everyone. And the supply isn't so much the issue, is it? It's actually just getting the food to people. Definitely. Supply isn't the issue. And our supply chains have been pieced together just uh, with enormous attention to detail. So Henry and I have absolute confidence in them. You said something really interesting there, Peter. Your business model is, um, is very, very interesting because you have established your own sort of network of family farms in your patch of Devon who produce the meat you sell. Can you tell us a little bit about how they've all been coping and the changes and challenges you've been seeing? I think one of the things which I really hope, one of the, the main paving slabs, if you like, in this road really should be the resilience of the smaller scale food business model. And to this, we would add um, joyfully, frankly, the smaller scale family farming business model. It has stood the test of generations and it is only since the war that the pressures of the large corporate industrial scale globalised elements, if you like, of the food supply chain have applied relentless pressure. But actually, this current crisis has put into sharp focus that those smaller scale farming businesses are A, resilient by their definition. They're amazing. And we have so many stories so much experience over the years i've been really pleased to see on social media many farmers saying come on if we get together we actually can help ourselves in this situation and i really hope that mentality prevails and that is exactly what we've done with our family farms we've said to them we want to give you the opportunity to go back to farming the way your grandparents did because they farmed your farm in harmony with nature. So we're simply saying to them, if you have the will, if you remember being sitting on your granddad's knee and being told how the farm should work and what was truly sustainable, Go back to doing that 
and we will give you a route to market. How much business is coming to an independent quality food producer and retailer like yours from new customers? I'm really interested in um, how many people are turning to a different way of shopping at the moment? It's been and joyous, frankly, to see over the last few years, the average age of our customer profile has come down dramatically. But the current situation has definitely highlighted that if the work-life balance of many families or households, one of the absolute benefits that seems to be um, evident is that means more time to cook. And so then there's more focus on cooking from scratch, which we are so excited about because that is what we've always said. Keep cooking simple, have really good ingredients. You don't need lots of them. If we as farmers have done our job right, you really are going to produce good, wholesome, nutritious meals. But it's simple. There really are symbiotic relationships between the link directly to the sharp end, as it were, which is what we count, or Will and Abby are are driving at the front end of Piper's Farm, and those amazing artisan producers out in the landscape who do the day-to-day graft and produce amazing products. And closer to home then, what are you, who's at your table? What are you eating? What is life like for you at home? Do you also have more time to um, slow down and cook and eat? Maybe you you already did, or maybe you're busier than ever. What's it like eating in in your house at the moment? As we speak, I am just digesting a pumpkin dal. Ooh, lovely. Our cooking always has been very, very simple. It it really is about, if it isn't a, a delicious vegetable curry that Henry is brilliant at making, it might, last night we had a bit of our uh, red ruby beef just thrown straight onto the hot plate of the aga. Yeah. Really simple, straightforward ingredients is what we find truly nourishing. You know, it it needs to fill us up. We're physically active. And it sounds also delicious as well as, you know, having that functional element. You're actually taking me back. My my grandmother grew up on a a farm in Northern Ireland and I can sort of smell the farmhouse from visits there as a child and picture the agar and what you're cooking it's all very reminiscent and it is a lovely way of living and eating and cooking it's very very hard work um but you know you're you're you've earned what you're eating you're rewarded with with this great nourishing food and at the end of the day you're eating to to have sustenance so that you can get up again and do it all again tomorrow and we're very glad that you do Uh, your produce is amazing and what you're doing is hugely appreciated and these are unprecedented times and, you know, all the new ways that people are having to, to find to do things and work together, the collaboration, as you say, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I think Charlotte and I are just constantly impressed by hearing stories like yours of, of what people are doing and having to do. And 
and finding ways of doing. So thank you very much for your time. I would love to know what three things you're looking forward to, Peter, when this is all over. Top of the list is go and give our grandson a hug. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 I think um, more interaction again with our farming families will be something that we much look forward to. You know, I think, Jules, it has occurred to us that humanizing the food supply chain is something that is deeply, deeply ingrained in us. That and human health. And so I suppose the one thing we'd love to see rather than physically do at the end of this is much more attention um, given to the relationship between human health and the food that people eat. We are so focused on the gut health of our farm animals, knowing that impacts on the nutritional value of the food we produce. That's a sort of, it would be a real treat if that outcome was something we could see much more clearly at the end of this crisis. That would be a legacy, wouldn't it, indeed? Yeah, absolutely. And you're allowed one more. Is there another, any other thing that you're looking forward to? We love going down to the sea, and it's something that we have always loved about being in this part of the world. So we have a boat and uh, a little um, sailing Drascombe, so the prospect of being out on that on a nice summer's evening in the not too distant future and we can look back on this, uh, this time and think, wow, we've moved on and isn't it great that it's behind us. Well, hopefully you'll be enjoying doing just that uh, in the not too distant future, as you say. Listen, you're very, very busy. What you're doing is is incredible. And um, we're just so grateful that you've been able to take the time to talk to us. And thank you very much. Stay safe and stay well. Well, that was great. And so kind of Peter to give us his time. Jules, have you got any more insider industry news to share with us before we move on to our listener questions? Yes, I've seen a couple of things I thought it might be useful to share. So I've seen a report saying that food delivery, takeaways and recipe boxes are expected to see an uptick in usage in the coming weeks as lockdown measures ease. And that's according to a consumer shopping behaviour survey. So at first I wasn't sure why that would be. But if you think about it previously, paying more for food to be made for you or at least having the thinking done for you if you buy a recipe box, was really seen as a treat. But after all of the cooking that we've all had to do, these options are going to offer a break from routine. And with more operators reopening for delivery, there's now a greater choice available than just a few weeks ago. Hence, we're expecting a surge in demand. And lastly, Asda is launching what it claims will be the largest food box range available for vulnerable customers. Each box will contain 32 different products, including cereal, rice, pasta, bread, tinned fruit and vegetables, as well as some snacks. The boxes will be priced at £30 and available on a new website, with Asda saying it was keen to avoid adding pressure to its existing grocery home shopping site. The move by Asda follows similar schemes launched by other retailers, including Morrison's, M&S and Aldi. Brilliant. Thanks, Jules. That's great to hear your insider information. 
So on to our listener questions about cooking now. And this week, we've been delighted to receive more of your questions about cooking during COVID. Yes. So Heather from Yorkshire is keen to talk about healthy snacks. She says she's finding it very difficult to be at home all day, surrounded by cakes and biscuits calling her from the cupboard. And she's looking for some healthy snacks to make, but doesn't want lots of extra work on top of cooking three meals a day. Maybe something quick and easy she could make once and then snack on over the next few days. What do you think, Charlotte? Well, that's a really good point and something I know a lot of people are thinking about at the moment. I have three recommendations for you. First of all, um, one of the things that I really like to make at home is a big fruit salad. So I will take whatever fruit is looking best that week and then chop it up and pop it in a box, cover it with some um, fruit juice, maybe some orange or apple juice if I have it, or a squeeze of citrus juice if I've got an odd orange, lemon or lime hanging around. And that chopped fruit salad is really nice to dive into. You can get it out the fridge and it's just ready to go. Really doesn't take um, too much time to make. And actually a lot of people quite like to eat fruit when it's cut up in a fruit salad rather than say having a piece of fruit on its own. So that's a nice one. Second, uh, another tip uh, I like to do is to take seeds and toast them. So I put seeds my favorite personally are sunflower and pumpkin seeds and to put them into a dry pan, warm them for just a couple of minutes and they'll start to change color and pop. They'll smell really nice and nutty. And then you can just put them into a box, put them into a Tupperware in the cupboard. And then they're a really nice snack to enjoy just as they are really healthy and actually toasting them really, really enhances their flavor and their texture. Gives them a nice crispness. Finally, uh, a nice healthy snack are some crudité. I love to chop up vegetables. At the moment, I'm particularly enjoying radishes, carrots and fennel. And they are really nice to have as a ready-to-go snack cut up in the fridge. And of course, I'm not just saying this, but they are really lovely to have with a dip. <laughs> I, d- I did think when you mentioned crudités, hummus obviously comes to mind, but they sound like three lovely options, something sweet and something savoury. So thank you. We've had a question from Chris in Wakefield about baking with oats. Over to you on that one, Charlotte. I like to bake with oats quite a lot and this is something I do at home. Now oats are really nice to put in your cooking and they can be a really nice alternative to flour and as we've talked about um, in this podcast before flour has been quite difficult to get hold of so oats are quite a nice alternative. Now there are two things you can do you can bake with whole oats so they work really nicely in biscuits cakes flapjacks but what you can also do is you can make oat flour by blending oats into a fine flour like texture this works really nicely in cakes or soda type breads as well um and it's quite a nice op- option, quite a nice option because it's quite cheap to do. Oats are inexpensive and they're very easy to blend. You don't need a specialist blender to do that. So it's a really nice option to consider. And there are loads of recipes you can find online for lovely bakes with oats. We love hearing from our listeners. And if you have a question you'd like to ask us, please do drop us a line on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk or find us on social media with the handle at pandemic pantry podcast so that was great thank you once again to all of our fabulous guests and lovely listeners remember to follow us on social media for all of the great competitions we're running this week we have an essentials meat box giveaway from the lovely piper's farm that's going to be absolutely fantastic for somebody to win and that goes alongside our usual win a hamper of hummus prize so 
Check us out on social media and make sure you enter Somebody Has to Win. So thanks again. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to talking to you again next week where we'll be talking to some more amazing guests, this time about food and health. Trust me, you won't want to miss it. So we'd just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Pandemic Pantry Podcast. And if you'd like to enter our weekly competition to win a case of delicious Moorish dips or one of our other great giveaways, just head to our website and look in the competition section. The website address once more is www.pandemic-pantry.co.uk and we'll see you next week.